0: Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft.
1: Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Hey, everybody. I'm Logan Camden. I'm Carson Brabber. And
3: this is Nerd Sesh.
1: No! Oh, my God! How could he do that? Are you on? Donate to oh! cha- What? Charles Darwin
2: all right well this is going to be a little bit of a light week for us here on the podcast because of course we are still going through the holiday season and everything that comes with that so this is going to be our show for this week we're going to be doing some NBA stuff we'll come out with our full NFL playoff predictions this coming Monday after week 17 has transpired but today We're going to be looking at some of the hottest and coldest starters to this NBA season, if it's a team, if it's a player, and talking about if we think it's sustainable. Are things going to get better from here? Are they going to get worse from here? Or are they going to stay the same? So let's start, Logan, with a team that we were obviously massive advocates for throughout all of last season, and that has now sputtered a bit to start this season, sitting at 0-3, the Toronto Raptors. Logan, does it get better from here? Does it get worse from here? Does it stay the same?
3: Well, I think it has to get better from here, Carson. Sitting at zero and three with a team this talented, uh, I think they've got to correct the course a little bit. But there are some really concerning things with Toronto to start this season. Uh, Last week we discussed uh, it—the loss of their two. Uh, centered some last season, Marc Gasol and Serge Ibaka, uh, it's really hurt, and it was evident against their game in their game against the 76ers. Um, Aaron Baines and Chris Boucher cannot replicate what these two did for them last season. Uh, Joel Embiid just bullied them, and I think any dominant center or dominant interior presence is going to um, frustrate and they're going to they're going to kill the Toronto Raptors on the inside. B put up 29 points, 16 boards. Uh, it was, they get crushed on the inside and it wasn't even a good shooting performance, uh, from the big man for Aaron Baines on the offensive side, one of eight over three from deep two points and two turnovers in 21 minutes. It was abysmal. Now, while talking about the Raptors interior defense, I have to give Boucher a little bit of credit. He had seven blocks against the Spurs. He looked dominant in that game, but against top level talent, like Embiid, uh, the Raptors just don't match up on the interior. And then looking at them offensively, Carson, there are a lot of things that concern me about this team, uh, OG Ananobi had a great game, uh, 20 points last outing, but uh, he's been inconsistent. He had a lot of turnovers in that first matchup. And the biggest issue, it's not Kyle Lowry, it's not even Siakam. I think Siakam needs to get a deeper bag. I think Lowry um, Lowry should just keep doing what he's doing. The problem has been Fred VanVleet so far in this half-court offense. I don't think they're using Fred Van Vliet in the right way, Carson. I think he is much more suited in what you discussed in the offseason as a really great destination for him, potentially going to Atlanta. I said I didn't like the fit alongside Trey Young. Looking back, I think I might like Van Vliet as a pure off-ball three-point shooter and pure defender on that side, because I don't think right now I think they're trying to mold him into this Lowry next up. They want him to supersede him. They want him to be this playmaker. Lowry has this takeover I'm going to go in the paint and I'm going to attack I'm going to get to the line Van Vliet doesn't have that I think that he is much more suited as an off-ball shooter instead of a primary ball handler in what they've tried to do there early in this offense and I think a better situation for the Raptors why don't you try Malachi Flynn? He played great in the preseason. He, We know he can run an offense. We know he's good as a secondary or primary ball handler. Just give him a shot. He hasn't played a whole lot early on to start this season. I think it would fix some of their offensive issues, but uh, it's just been an abysmal start. I think a little bit of this, Carson, is the new talent coming in, trying to figure out how all these pieces work together, but uh, it's been a really slow start, def- defensively and offensively. Van Vliet needs to, he had he had a decent game, I'll give him credit, he had 20 points, and uh, I think he shot 10 of 21 game, but uh, it's been a slow start, and uh, this, offen- this half-court offense is where the Raptors really need to focus, I think, because even though their interior defense has been bad, they are third lowest points uh, in the paint per game this season, so uh, I'm leaning more towards offense, but
2: this is going to get better, they're much too talented. I think you're completely right in addressing those as the primary issues. I think that this will get better as well. But I do think that there's real cause for concern. I'm not sure this team is better than the Pacers. I'm not sure they're better than the Hawks. These teams that previously, before the season, we would have, you know, sort of written in ahead of them. I had them as the sixth seed above those two teams So I had seventh and eighth. And right now, I think it's clear who's been more impressive thus far. Because at this point... The Raptors' offensive rating of 97.8 is easily the worst in the league, and it would be the worst if they were to sustain it for an entire season, which they obviously won't, but just to give you a sense of how terrible it is, since the process Sixers in 2015, and part of that is shots just aren't falling. They've taken the most threes in the league. They've made under 35% of them. This is a sharp shooting team. They didn't lose that when they lost Ibaka and Gasol because they replaced them with two shooting big men as well in Baines and Boucher, so that will improve, but I think we are seeing some offensive issues in the half court that you already addressed, and part of it is they don't have that easy, reliable, automatic offense. They're attempting the least free throws in basketball, and I think that makes sense, when you look at their stars, they are really dependent on skilled perimeter scores, and Pascal Siakam, although I think we've seen some nice improvement from him as a playmaker and a facilitator this season, is not consistently getting to the easy spots that we saw him get to a couple years ago. He's been pretty much reliant on his perimeter play, And he's shooting 39% from the field, attempting two free throws a game because of it. So if you don't have that one star offensively who can just go out there and get you 25 somewhat effortlessly, which is what Siakam was for a good chunk of last season, and then he faded from that status, and the Raptors offense faded with it. And if we were going to look at a point of concern for this team, it would be with a league average offense last year, effectively. They were 14th in offensive rating. Can you be elite again following that same formula? And I think we all kind of had the sense of no. That's why we dropped them down to sixth or whatever in our expectations for the standings in the East this season. And we have seen that become a reality because they have clearly lost something. Again, things will get better. Norman Powell has been a non-factor. Van Vliet at under 15 a game. Shots are just going to start to fall for him a little bit more. I agree with you. I think we should be seeing more Malachi Flynn minutes and touches, but they're just so dependent on... Yakim, in particular to be that reliable offensive weapon night in and night out to carry the scoring load. And I don't think it's happening because nobody around him has gotten better. And Inobi still has the same simple offensive game for the most part. And the young talent elsewhere hasn't really developed. So it's a depleted roster compared to last year. Still talented, of course, but much more flawed, particularly on the offensive end. And I have to ask you because this is a question that was posed to me by our friend Peyton T. Gallagher, resident Raptors fan. He said, at what point do the Raptors look at this roster and look at the success that they've had thus far or the lack thereof and say, maybe it's time to trade Kyle Lowry and commit to reshaping this roster? What do you think about that?
3: That's a tough sell just because Kyle Lowry is such a, he's, he's nearly the perfect point guard. He gets to the line. He, pass, he moves the ball. Well, he plays great defense. Um, I honestly think he's right, though. I think this is—it's going to come, become like a, uh, a Mike Conley situation. I think almost in Memphis, where uh, your star point guard—and look, the Raptors already got their title. It's not like they need to fight for trying to run this core until they uh, trying to run this core to another championship. They don't have to. I think. This offseason, this, not this offseason, maybe at the trade deadline, if the Raptors haven't turned this around, if they're under five hundred, I see a real scenario where they move Lowry to a contending team, or maybe next season, but I, bringing with that, Carson, who is your star? Do you put all of your faith in Pascal Siakam?
2: Well, I honestly don't feel great about that, and I think there's a pretty clear ceiling with that, especially since he has just come down to earth as a shooter since he had those incredible first couple months to start the last season. He's not reliably knocking down from the perimeter this season, and we haven't seen him get to the line and create those easy opportunities for himself, so I don't feel great about him being my leading man. Now, maybe with the perimeter punch that they have from the combination of Lowry and Van Vliet and maybe down the road Malachi Flynn, that's enough to make up for it, but I don't think we're looking at a championship core here, and because of that, Last season, I thought this team is so firmly in contention that it's not worth looking to, okay, what future assets can we acquire? It doesn't matter when you can be that good. Now you take advantage of it, even if it's unlikely that you win a title, but that those circumstances have definitely changed this season and the Raptors are not still firmly in that tier of contention. And because of that, I think when you look at Kyle Lowry, who at 34 years old may not have that much value for that much longer, although I still think he's a phenomenal basketball player and is basically the best he's ever been because this guy just ages like fine wine. Get him to somewhere where he can make those winning plays and can elevate an offense and a defense to a championship level where he will be really valued because here he's great for you. He's so beloved, obviously, by this franchise. He's done so much for them, but they're going to be okay with or without him, and he obviously makes them better, but if you can survive without him and then still get a high-level pick from somebody else, I think that's worth considering. So, it's a predicament that I didn't exactly see the Raptors being in this season. I obviously expected them to come down to earth from last year, but I still thought that they would be a impressive playoff team out east, and I'm not going to say that's not going to happen, but it has been a concerning start. Okay, let's talk about another team that has a pretty intriguing roster makeup, but has not quite lived up to expectations to start this season. The Washington Wizards, who are currently sitting at 0-4, does it get better from here? Does it get worse? Does it stay the same?
3: Uh, I think it largely stays the same, Carson. And uh, to my NerdSesh family, to the NerdSesh listeners, I apologize. Last week, my takeaway was the Wizards will easily make the playoffs. No that's it's not going to happen the Wizards are going to they're going to fight and claw for every individual win I'm going to be surprised if they're in contention at the end of this year I mean like you said Carson this roster is talented but I think the issue with the Wizards is they are so dependent like the Raptors on perimeter shooting that when you don't get it you're going to lose they are so even into the fourth quarter when you should be playing stout defense maybe going inside looking for points they are still trying to huck up shots uh Uh, In the game against the Magic, a 17-point lead. Now, this is granted without Russell Westbrook going into the fourth quarter. Bench let them down. Uh, They allowed the Magic to score 43 points, win that game. On that game, Bill shot 0-7 from deep. Roll Neto, 2 of 8 from deep. Avdiha, 1 of 5. Bertans, 1 of 4. Just not shooting well against the Bulls uh, last time out. They turned the ball over 19 times. They shot 10 of 37 from three-point land. This is with Russell Westbrook. Beal shot 1 of 5, had 5 turnovers. Westbrook, 1 of 4, had 6 turnovers. Neto, 0 of 6 from deep. I mean, the reason this team won so many games last season was because their offense moved fluidly. They got a lot of open three-pointers. And they still didn't play defense. And there's another issue with Washington. I expected their defensive issues to go away because I expected a little bit of a jump from Thomas Bryant or the addition of Russell Westbrook to shut down scoring guards. No, that hasn't happened. And Thomas Bryant looks like the worst starting defensive big man in basketball. He is horrendous. Offensively, I like his game. He's a good screener. He gets putbacks. He rolls into the basket well. Defensively, he adds nothing to your team. If the Wizards don't trade for a defensive big man, I'm scared for them. And Uh, Last season, they were the 30th ranked defense. This season, they have the 7th worst uh, ranked scoring defense through four games. Uh, When this team is not shooting well, um, we know they can't defend. When they're not shooting well, they're not going to win games. And Carson, I question with the turnover amount that we have seen from Beal and Westbrook, I don't know if Westbrook was even the right move to make. Like, they swung for the fences with this trade. And I just think we're seeing another situation where Russell Westbrook is just an odd-shaped puzzle piece that because he's a non-shooter, he kind of hurts this lineup.
2: Oh, I think that we've absolutely seen that. And I do think he can take them to a different ceiling offensively, but you have to question if the shooting that made this team so special and so dangerous offensively last year can be sustained. Because if you look at their roster right now, they are without one of their best players in Rui Hachimura, who was out to start the season. And you think, okay, he will change things, but he doesn't exactly help you as far as floor spacing goes because he's still not really comfortable extending his range out to the perimeter. Hopefully that changes this season. We saw him improve a little bit towards the end of last year, but it's certainly not a sure thing. And so you wonder, does that make things better? I do think things will get better for the Wizards. I do not think they will be a top eight playoff team. I do still think they will be a play-in team. And part of that is because the defensive issues are going to remain. This will be a terrible defense near the bottom of the league, but... The fact that they are 23rd in offensive rating right now is ridiculous, and that will not sustain because there's too much offensive talent here, and I think that Russ is part of that because he's had a fascinating start to the season. People are lauding him, obviously, for the triple-doubles. That's fine. I think that when you watch the full Westbrook experience this year, it hasn't been perfect, and he's not fully playing to his strengths. 57% of his shots are coming from mid-range right now, and people are guarding him more dramatically than they really ever have before, just giving him so much of a runway, and he's saying, okay, I'll take these 15-foot pull-ups, and they're falling at a decent clip for now, but last year, he shot under 41% on mid-range jumpers. The year before that, I think he shot 31% on mid-range jumpers, so I think that he has probably improved there, and we saw him pick some teams apart with mid-range at times last year. He also goes ice cold, and for the most part, it is still not a good shot for him, so he's going to get punished if he continues playing that way. He has to be consistently penetrating, kicking out. That is what makes him effective within this offense, and if he's doing anything else, then it's probably not great for them. I've also been disappointed with Troy Brown Jr., who is a guy who I thought came along really strong last season, in the bubble, over the last seven games of the year, averaged 15-8-5, and and we saw so much intriguing facilitating defense, his shot looked like he had improved, and now he's putting up 3.8 a game, he's not consistently getting valuable minutes for this team, and that's unfortunate to see. I do think things will get better, though, because this team still knows their identity. They're playing with the third fastest pace in the league. Their shooting will improve. I think, again, maybe it remains suspect with Rui in the lineup, but they're shooting 33% from deep right now. That's towards the bottom of the league. I think that that gets better, and... One of the bright spots as far as perimeter shooting has been Denny of Dia, who, of course, we've been talking about for almost a year at this point since I mocked him first overall, whenever that was back in February or something. He's shooting 54% from deep. His stroke looks fantastic right now. And we've also seen the value of his playmaking and transition. That dude just looks like an absolute home run. And I am very happy that he went to Washington. But I have to say, I do still think there's enough talent here to get them into the play in. If they don't, and if they fall short of that, what the heck do they do with Russell Westbrook? Because then this just looks like an absolutely ridiculous move.
3: Well, I think that they have to address this bench, Carson. You touch on Troy Brown Jr. and uh, your expectations. I've been disappointed with uh, what the Wizards did to their bench entirely. I think, (laughs) actually though, if Russell Westbrook can't get this Wizards team to the playoffs, Carson, I'm thinking now, who's going to trade for him? who would want a, I get that nobody, he, <laughs> I get that he gets you your triple doubles and he looks cute and the announcers will, uh, just hype him up the entire game. But Westbrook doesn't contribute to winning basketball. If he, if he can't make this team, a winner with literal three point shooters everywhere, I don't know what his value stands around the league. I didn't know if he would get moved out of Houston. Um, I think you have to look for an asset in the draft as far as a pick. Um, just because I don't think you can bring another star in here. This team is so clearly not a winner um, just with Bradley Beal. You need to either make a deal for a third star giving up some bench assets or just move on and say, hit the reset button, let's, uh, let's go into tank mode.
2: The Wizards have been in a tough predicament for many years now, ever since they signed Jan Mahimi, and they were therefore constricted as far as cap and then through the wall injuries, and now they are somewhat committed to this core. They just signed Bertans for another five years, and Bradley Beal is in the midst of his prime, and they want to hold on to him, but I'm not loving the Russell Westbrook experiment thus far. However, I do think they'll be okay. I do think things will get better from here. Okay, let's talk about another guy who has been a little bit of a contentious personality around the league and also got moved just a season ago and is now in his second season with his team, Kyrie Irving is off to a flaming hot start to the season for the Brooklyn Nets through three games that he has played. For him, do things get better from here? Do they stay the same? Do they get worse?
3: Uh, I think they get slightly worse, and the only reason I say that is Kyrie has been blistering to start this season. I cannot imagine him keeping up these averages and uh, these percentages through an entire season. Um, he put up 26 on Golden State, 37 on Boston, 25 on Charlotte. This season right now, 61% from the field, 56 from deep, and he has not missed a free throw. I mean, Kyrie's been unconscious, and I think I think this is what we get from rested Kyrie Carson. He took this last year off uh, with a Nets team that wasn't really going to do a whole lot of damage, and he looks he just looks like a killer, man. Uh, That pull-up three from the end of the half against the Warriors, just, this is a different breed. This isn't even Boston Kyrie. This is not Cleveland Kyrie. This is old man. I am here on a mission to bring Brooklyn a title. Um, And with that, I think that for his averages, I think that KD's going to step into a little bigger role as the season continues along. But Uh, Kyrie's been hot to start off. I just cannot imagine him continuing 29 points per game every night. He'll be up there, I think top 10, but I would lean more to 26 points per game. Um, uh, Still high percentages, but uh, it's been crazy how hot he has started this season off at.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. I say that this is, he stays the same-ish, and you're right, the production will not be the same. He's not going to average 29-4-6 on 61-56-100 splits. That would be absolutely ridiculous, considering that would mean he doesn't miss a free throw for the entire season. Does he stay at the same volume as far as 29 a game? Probably not, but the reason I say same-ish is because I do think we are seeing the best basketball of his life. He has so much space to work with here in Brooklyn, shooters all around him, and so many talented creators alongside him, he's just allowed to go to work right now, and I think that what we're seeing right now is an extension of what he had done last year, which I thought was the best he had ever looked offensively in those 20 games, where he's scoring 27 plus per game and is doing it on mind-blowing efficiency, I just think Kyrie is better than he's ever been before, and I have historically been a skeptic of Kyrie's impact on winning, and I think that you can look at how he's been regarded around the league as far as being a one-time third-team All-NBA and one-time second-team All-NBA selection as a reflection of the fact that other people feel the same way because he hasn't necessarily driven winning in the past. But right now, he is a major reason why this team is, to me, the favorite out east because he is showing us a level of dazzling shot making that we have not seen from many people in NBA history. And really, it's pulling up from deep. He's 3-for-3 on 30-plus footers. He's 56% from deep overall. I think he's 50% on pull-up threes, and he's not getting to the line reliably at this point, and he's not necessarily showing us consistently that insane Kyrie finishing around the rim that we all know and love and that is maybe his greatest weapon, although right now it looks like his outside shot is just as potent, if not more so, but I do think that that will come into the flow of things as well, and just the touch from flow to range. Everything this man is doing, it's like he looks at every single defender who is bold enough to guard him and says, okay, this is going to be quite easy, and then just cooks that man, and I feel like it's, it's infectious. I feel like he has imparted some of his wisdom and just his play style onto Karis Levert, because when I watch that dude play, he has the same kind of swag. He has the, he has the ball on a string as well. He's comfortable taking these mid-range turnarounds and pull-ups and just these shots that you're really only allowed to take if you're a great shot maker. And Lavert has that, and sometimes I feel like I'm watching a little bit of Shades of Kyrie out there when he plays.
3: Are you still concerned with Lavert's fit uh, through these
2: first few games alongside KD and Kyrie? I'm not particularly, just because he is so isolated from them in so many ways where it's like, okay, KD and Kyrie get their minutes, and then Lavert just goes insane with the bench. And I hope that he's able to operate more without the ball in his hands when it comes to closing time, because I think that... As this bench gets a little bit shorter with the Spencer Dinwiddie ACL tear, obviously, so he will be out for the season. They might need Levert to be in their closing. They might need him to play some defense. But right now, he seems to just be overjoyed cooking and doing whatever he wants with the second unit, and it's been great to see. But Kyrie is special right now. I think that he looks like the most skilled scorer in basketball and is the most impressed I've ever been with him. He looks absolutely fantastic.
3: Well, and on top of that, Carson, I would say one of the most efficient. It's not like he's putting up Harden games where he's chucking up shots. This is These are smart shots, and it's, it's going into winning offense and winning basketball, which can't be said for a lot of these other top scorers.
2: They're smart shots for him. If other people were taking them, they probably would not be making a lot of them, but Kyrie just makes everything look easy right now, and so you're right. It's efficient, it's winning, and it's what this team needs because – what is going to take them over the top is going to be two incredible isolation shot makers who just elevate this offense and everyone around them to another level. And the Nets, although they've dropped a couple straight right now, I think are obviously just an absolute weapon out east. Okay, let's talk about another pair of guys who are new to the situation as far as playing with each other, Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton. And the Suns are playing well at this point, they're 3-1, and one. they just eviscerated the Pelicans, but for these two, I think there's a strong case to be made that Ayton has been disappointing and Chris Paul hasn't quite had the statistical production that maybe you would have expected. So, as far as both these guys, does it get better, worse, stay the same from here?
3: I think it stays the same, but I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing, Carson. I think we're seeing a... I mean, the offense in Phoenix just flows really well. I think Aiden, in his role, is just a pick setter for Chris Paul, for Booker, and rolling to the rack. It drags defenses to one side of the court and has created so many... Um, off-wing shooting opportunities for Jay Crowder, for Cam Johnson, for Macau Bridges. I think that if Aiden sticks around 10 points per game, 10 boards, I I don't think it's the worst if these guys' statistical numbers don't look that great. Paul's assist numbers are still up there. Um, I think he's over 10 uh, to start the season as well. Oh, he's about near 10. He's at 9.5 right now. Um, Him and Booker is the primary ball handlers in this offense. Booker is going to get the more points. He's going to put more shots up because... Uh, That's what he does. Booker's one of the best scorers in basketball. But I I think if Aiden is just stuck as a roller, it drags defenses still inside and opens up so many other opportunities for shooters. I think this is, it it will stay the same, but I think this benefits Phoenix's offense in the half court so much better by keeping the ball out of Aiden's hands. And I know that's not what you want to hear from a number one overall pick, but the offense just moves so fluidly, and there are just so many organically open shots that. I think Aiden, I think this should be Aiden's role moving forward.
2: I think you have highlighted before, by far the most important part of this, which is just their statistical production right now hasn't really mattered as far as this team's sake because they are winning, and this is a beautiful, flowing, fluid offense with dudes who are making plays everywhere. And Macal Bridges and Cam Johnson are averaging 15.5 a, a game. Macal Bridges is so, so impressive in his ability of just killing people off the ball, maybe the best cutter in basketball, honestly, and a phenomenal spot-up shooter at this point where he has improved throughout his career. And then defensively, it's a whole nother level. He is clearly, to me, the Suns' third best player. Jay Crowder went out there and was on fire last night. So this team doesn't really need their leading men to go crazy. But I don't know if that really holds true in the biggest moments. I think that Book's averaging 19 a game right now. That obviously is going to have to kick up to another gear in the biggest moments when they really need him to be special like we know he's capable of. But... Chris Paul has not been bad by any stretch of the imagination, because he's scoring under 12 a game, and his plus minus isn't overly impressive, it's barely positive, his efficiency has been not great, 40.5% from the field, 25% from three, but you feel his control of the game, and he's just not opposing himself as a scorer right now for the most part, in three games he hasn't, in one game he did, I have full faith that he can impose himself when he needs to, so I'm not worried about him, the guy who I do point out, and I think you made some good points about his gravity right now and the opportunities he's creating for others, but Aiden, I still don't feel great about his progression. He's averaging 11.5 a game at this point, only taking three free throws per contest. And we saw some improvement in their most recent outing against the Pelicans because over his first three games, five of his 25 shots had come in the restricted area, and then last night... 9 of 11 did, but it's still not to me the decisive kind of roles that you want to see from him. He's not embracing contact. He's not this terrifying lob threat at all times. He's not the kind of vertical spacer you want to see. He's just not aggressive enough. He's too willing to take these 15-footers that scare nobody, and until he works that out of his game, his ability to impact winning will be limited. So, the Suns, I think their supporting cast has been impressive. And guys like Bridges and Johnson and Crowder have been great, and they have allowed this team to continue winning. But if they're really going to have that high-level ceiling, I'm not worried about Chris Paul. I'm a little bit worried about Aiden. So I think that they will both get better as far as statistical production. Aiden, though, I'm not sure how much his mentality changes, although I really think it can only go up from here because it has not been great over the first few games. Well, Then what do you think Aiden's best role is in this offense? I would just like to see... You talk about the gravity that he has where you know defenders come into the paint and they're concerned about his threat. I would like to see him actually establish himself as that threat because people see a big body in the paint and they think, "Okay, we should go double him, we should send people at him." But when he's not actually decisively finishing, when he's not actually catching those lobs and throwing them down, then I think that his impact on the game is somewhat limited and I think that people understand at some point that he's not actually that terrible threat inside that maybe he looks like physically. So I just want to see him more consistently impose himself as a scoring threat for the most part because defensively he's come so far along. And if he could actually space the floor as far as knocking down threes, that would be great instead of these mid-range jumpers. But we haven't really seen evidence to indicate that yet from him. Okay, let's talk about a team that we were pretty divided on before the season. And I think that's why they're an interesting one to look at right now because they've sort of given us divisive performances thus far where they've looked like one team in one game and then another game and then another team in a couple other games, the Portland Trailblazers, sitting at 2-1. and one. Does it get better, worse, or stay the same from here?
3: See, and I think it's funny that you say that they looked like completely different teams. And I think you can highlight the Jazz game as one of those first game of the year, transitional. It took a minute for guys to figure out how to play in the offense. But also, this is how the Blazers play. When Damian Lillard puts up nine points, when he shoots one of seven from deep, when Terry Stotts decides to go a lot of iso ball and not put out a whole lot of defensive lineups, you're going to get beat. When Lillard's not shooting well, when the offense runs like that, you're not going to win. But that's what's so beautiful, I think, about the Trailblazers. Against the Rockets, against the Lakers, for one game, I think the Trailblazers could beat anybody in the league because of the offensive talent that they had. C.J. McCollum, 44 points against the Rockets. Uh, Lillard, 32 points. They just have guys who can get hot. Lillard, McCollum might be the best offensive guard duo in the league. Now, you can argue Paul or Booker, but we'll have to see a little more from them. Um, Carson, I want to give you props for this recent game against the Lakers. Uh, Gary Trent balled out. 28 points, 7-11 from deep, 10-14 of 14, uh, from the field. And uh, the Blazers showed us, I think, a little something uh, different uh, in the Lakers game in that fourth quarter. They played late, great defense against them. They held them to 38% in the fourth. But I think this is still pretty much, it surprised me that you had the Blazers so high on your predictions before the season started, Carson. I think this is, team is going to stay pretty much the same as what we've seen. If Lillard and McCollum show up, if they're getting buckets, they're going to win. And if they don't, they're not going to win. This is pretty much, in my opinion, the exact same team from last year. You just have a healthy use of Nurkic. If Nurkic asserts himself a little more, if he um, can come along with McCollum and Lillard on the offensive end, I think this team stands to win a few more games. But they have the 26th defensive rating through three games this season. They had the 28th defensive rating last season. Defensively, even with the addition of Covington and Jones, I don't think they've gotten a whole lot better on that end. I think game to game, the result is still dependent on Lillard and McCollum going out there and getting buckets.
2: This one is close for me between do things stay the same or do they get better? I think that they probably get slightly better. And the primary reason for that is on the defensive end where they have been atrocious to this point. They've played some tough competition, which I think is probably reflected in that stat. And it's not that that unit is great, but I do think with the kind of wing defense that you have added, we can expect to see some growth there. And then it's also to me, we've seen this team knock down a lot of threes early in the season. They're taking the most in the league. They're making 38% of them. I do think though, the starting lineup, they can become a little bit more reliable from deep because on the wings, their shooting's a little spotty right now. Derrick Jones Jr. is only knocking down 30%, which is characteristic f- for what we've seen from him in his career as a whole. Rocco is making 8% of his threes thus far, and that obviously will not even close to hold. He will get better, but I do think that the guy who you just mentioned, who was my pick for most improved player, not a pick that I'm thrilled with, but you know what? He's my guy. I think Gary Trent Jr. should be starting because you were talking about a flamethrower who is a plus defender and... I don't know why they feel the need to start effectively two fours in Derek Jones Jr. and Robert Covington, because that's what they are in the modern NBA. I think that Gary Trent is perfectly capable of guarding wings and can really be a plus there and gives you so much more punch offensively. So if they want to take it to the next level, I would consider making that adjustment, but this is a flawed team. They remain a flawed team defensively. They are not great, but... I still think the depth is so improved. I still think that with Dame and CJ going as crazy as they are, this team can propel themselves to such great heights. I think that the passing from Nurkic has been so phenomenal. He, Jokic is in a tier of his own as far as big men passing, but I would say that Nurkic is in a tier of his own as the second best because nobody else comes close to what this guy is capable of doing. Just firing these beautiful one-handed passes, so aware aware, aware of where cutters are delivering these things with such beautiful touch. So I think that we have seen him as an offensive cog out of the post. Just change things for this team, and we saw it in the playoffs, but they still fell short in the playoffs, I should say, in the bubble as a whole. And the reason for that was the defense was so bad. If the defense can just be 18th in the league or somewhere around there, I think this is a scary team, and I really do think that they can get there because I think that the personnel is that much improved. So I wouldn't say that I really feel definitively about this team neither direction. I thought that, again... They looked inept defensively and really struggled offensively against the Jazz and then had impressive wins against the Rockets and the Lakers. Rockets game, maybe not great defense, but it's hard for any defense to look great against the James Harden-led team because they're going to score points no matter what. Let's talk about another team out West that we certainly had different expectations for coming into the season, but that has the same record as the Portland Trailblazers after three games, the San Antonio Spurs sitting at 2-1, and one, and they've looked pretty impressive thus far. Does it get better from here? Does it get worse? Does it stay the same?
3: Uh, I think it gets worse for a few reasons, and uh, it's still the two players that have been the downfall, I think, of the Spurs in these past few seasons. I can't trust DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge on a game-to-game basis, and the Spurs lack this go-to guy to get them a bucket late. Uh, we saw that against the Pelicans, and DeMar and LaMarcus still just don't, the Spurs team just don't, they don't shoot a whole lot of threes. They have the uh, seventh lowest three-point rate in the NBA through three games, Um, Aldridge on the season, 12 points per game, four boards. His PER is just over nine. Uh, in that loss to the Pelicans, DeRozan had eight points on three of 12 shooting. He was 0 of 4 from deep. And don't get me wrong. I think that the Spurs are a really deep squad. They can get production any night out of a lot of guys. Lonnie Walker, the fourth, DeJounte Murray, Patty Mills. Um, Rudy Gay, uh, even like Jakob Pirtle. I feel like any of these guys, at the drop of a hat can give me 15, uh, five and put up a really solid game. But when I can't trust these two stars into Rosen and Aldridge, I just don't have a whole lot of faith in these Spurs uh, as a whole. um, they just don't have a go-to guy. I think we've I've been really impressed uh, in these first few games by one of your favorite guys, Carson and Keldon Johnson. I think he has to get more minutes because he's been shooting well from deep. He's been rebounding well. He just he's been more reliable in my opinion than LaMarcus. Now, I know LaMarcus gets off the slow starts because he's an older guy, but the thing with the Spurs is they're out west. They have to get to the playoffs first. Like this isn't a given. You're going to need LaMarcus, DeMar, Rudy Gay, these older guys to come out every night and ball up because the Spurs desperately need wins this season just to get in. The West is hyper competitive and I just don't have a whole lot of faith in these young guys with paired up with these two older stars to drag them to the playoffs or win a playoff series.
2: I think that things get worse from here because it's been a really impressive start to the season, but I do like what I've seen from them a lot, and I do think that this team is going to be better than we expected, where I had them towards the bottom of the West. I think I had them 14th, but the same record as the Kings, maybe. I think that I sold them a little bit short there, and I think that a huge reason for that is the young guys who now Pop has leaned into and said, okay, let's give you some of the keys to this car, and they are doing exceptionally well in that role. DeJounte Murray looks Really improved to me, and this is a guy who obviously got paid ahead of last season, and now is looking like he really deserves that, averaging 15, 8, and 7, and it feels to me like he is just more of a threat as a scorer, feels like his change of pace is better, and it's really, he's a pretty incredibly smooth and slippery driver to the rim, his handle looks nice, his finishing, his playmaking, everything about him just looks better, and we know what he is defensively. Lonnie Walker has been fantastic, putting up 15 a game on 47% from deep, so valuable as a pure shooter, has some similar smoothness driving to the rim and changing pace to where he can get defenders in trouble there, and then of course, Keldon Johnson, who you mentioned, has just been so valuable for this team as a defensive presence, where he's really physical and tough, and offensively, he just does a bunch of the little stuff, he's a solid playmaker, and I think his shooting from deep will continue to improve, he's only 30% up to this point, but he's got a nice stroke, so that will get better, so... All those guys, to me, have been unexpectedly impressive, and that is a reason why I have more faith in this team, and it's been great to see because this is a franchise that has resisted that change for so long. The reason I say that things will get worse, in my opinion, is because the Spurs are 6th in defensive rating right now, and that, to me, is very, very unlikely to even be close to sustained by this team because they were 25th last year. And although I do think that they've added some plus defenders, I think that Keldon Johnson is obviously a guy who gives effort there. And this team does seem just a little more locked in on that end as a whole. I don't think that that sustained. So I'm not as out on DeRozan and Aldridge as you are. I think that DeRozan is still a really impressive offensive talent. And his playmaking has come so far. And he's shown more of a willingness to take threes. He's not the kind of guy I want to be the best player on my team if I want to be a really good squad. But for the Spurs to be respectable, for them to really battle for a playing game, I don't think that he holds them back there. To me, more of the question is Aldridge, what kind of offensive production do we get from him because up to this point, it's been a little bit shaky, but with what the young guys are doing, and we'll see if Vassell can come into his own a little bit more, and if he can become a fourth really productive youngster for this team, that would be fantastic to see to where we don't have to remain pessimistic about this Spurs team where they have this aging roster and they're not that competitive, and Pop is out the door because now the influx of young talent has come and it has been really exciting to see so they're not going to be a great playoff team but I do think they can be a play-in team and I did not expect that before the season it really is dependent on do these young guys hold their form can they compete defensively and I think that I'm closer to saying yes on those issues than I certainly was before the season let's talk about a guy who we have discussed time and time again throughout the offseason because he was so pivotal to what my favorite team was hoping to accomplish Andrew Wiggins, it's been a roller coaster thus far. Do things get better from here? Do they stay the same? Do they get worse?
3: Well, statistically, I'd say things are likely to stay the same. Uh, This is what Wiggins does on his career. 18 points per game, six boards, two assists. It's really what you can expect out of Wiggins' play style. That being said, I've been really impressed in these last two games, Carson, not just from behind the arc. He shot five of eight against Detroit from deep. He shot two of three uh, from deep against Chicago against Detroit. I saw a different Wiggins like he was getting to the rack. He looked confident. He looked he looked hungry like that's the Wiggins that we wanted a few years ago when he was the number one pick and it looks I'm not going to get caught up. I'm not going to say it looks like he's changing for the better but I saw a good game against Detroit and I'll give a little bit of credit to Kelly Oubre too. He looked a little bit better against Detroit. That being said it is Detroit against these better teams these better defenses Milwaukee 12 points 0-4 of from deep Brooklyn 2-6 of from deep 4-16 of from the field. Now Those are growing pains. That is what's going to happen when you have a lot of new players in an offense. Uh, Their offense did not move smoothly against either of those two teams. I'd like to say, I'd like to wait and see. Statistically, though, I know that we're going to get the exact same sort of production out of Wiggins. Stylistically, though, and I want to ask you, Carson, do you think Wiggins is more suited as just a catch-and-shoot spot-up shooter because he's shooting 43% from deep right now in the season, or should he look to be more of a secondary creator and uh, like a guy who should get to the rack and score a little more?
2: That's such a hard question to answer because he has excelled in that role, especially against the Pistons, but really over these last couple games, where, as you said, he's doing it off the bounce. He's knocking down step-back threes against the Pistons, and he was just a dead eye from deep in that game. I just question, is that sustainable? Is that the best for this team? Because... He's a spotty shooter off the ball, obviously. We know that, and he is inconsistent. And if he's playing to his strengths, maybe he is creating for himself more. At the same time, he's prone to taking tough, bad isolation shots when he does try to create for himself. So this is the thing with Andrew Wiggins. I think he stays the same for the most part, and the reason for that is he has been inconsistent thus far. There have been moments of great frustration. There have been occasional moments of brilliance. The question is, to me... Can he gel within the flow of this offense? Because for the most part, I don't want him. I don't want Oubre being that second creator where they're looking to do a bunch for themselves off the bounce. And maybe that's just an issue as far as the talent that this team has acquired because that is what they prefer to do. Oubre and Wiggins like creating for themselves. That is not how the Warriors offense has ever flowed previously. And I don't know if they're talented enough to be demanding those kind of touches. I don't know if they'll be efficient enough. And I think that it takes other people out of the game. And it's really frustrating because neither of them have particularly inspiring vision and it just seems to run counter to some of the fundamental tenets of how the Warriors have played basketball for a long time and what I think is best for them when it comes to winning games. So to me, it's about striking the balance because there are certain lineups that Wiggins runs with where he looks like far and away the most talented player out there and when he's going, it's a joy to watch. It really is. He can be truly impressive out there, but there are too many ugly moments and for me, My preference would be, instead of him trying to do anything spectacular, and instead of him saying, okay, I'm feeling myself, I'm going to go do something crazy, when Steph Curry is out there on the court with him, I think his primary objective should be make simple, good decisions with the ball in your hands, and knock down open shots, and that is how he's going to excel and then give effort on the defensive end, and that's not a perfect match with his skill set. We knew that coming in and that's kind of been the question. Can he morph? Can he adapt? And the answer right now remains unclear because even when he's playing well, it's not that he's embracing that role. It's just that he's making shots that he's creating for himself and that's going to remain the question for this Warriors team. It's the same thing with Ubre. It's how do they play within this system off of Steph in a way that drives winning because he's been impressive but again, this is games against the Bulls and the Pistons, maybe the two worst teams in basketball right now, and I don't know if we should get overly high on him because of that.
3: Do you think, who do you prefer as a secondary ball handler? Would you
2: run Ubre creating or Wiggins? Well, right now I would have to say Wiggins because Ubre has been just an utter disaster coming into the season. Maybe I would have said Ubre. I do think though, Wiggins is a better difficult shot maker, I would say. And maybe that's not necessarily a good thing because it tempts him to take more of those mid-range pull-ups, although he hasn't really done that that much throughout this season to his credit. What I've seen from him off the bounce, getting downhill, getting to the rim, I think there's a case to be made that he's actually a better pure shooter than Oubre. I would probably lean Wiggins right now. And I also think, although he has tunnel vision, he has superior playmaking instincts to Oubre, who has really, really terrible tunnel vision because we've seen stretchers from Wiggins where as a secondary playmaker he can make some nice reads, make some nice passes, and he's never sustained that, but there have been those glimpses that make me more optimistic about him than Ubre. But Ubre obviously has more value for you defensively, so both these guys can help this team win. They're not perfect fits, but in their best versions, they can help this team win, and we'll really see how it all comes together when Draymond comes back towards the end of this week. Okay, let's move on to the greatest rival, of Andrew Wiggins and the Warriors, at least historically. Wiggins hasn't really been much of a part of it, but for these two franchises over the past few years, the Houston Rockets, who are 0-2, but they've been without some of their best players in John Wall, Eric Gordon, DeMarcus Cousins, even Ben McLemore. Where do things go from here for them?
3: Oh, it's going to get better. I mean, I can't imagine a team with two, I'll say it, stars after two games. Christian Wood looks like a star after two games with James Harden, just because... I don't get it. Carson, you spit out some, uh, I believe, some uh, pick-and-roll uh, numbers at us. The percentiles.
2: Wood was pretty high, correct? Oh, he was the most efficient pick-and-roll big man in the league last year.
3: And it shows with James Harden. A uh, People crap on Harden for not moving the ball organically, but whatever, man. He finds open targets on the perimeter. And that Nuggets game was just so much fun to watch because anytime Harden would get the rock, Wood was wide open. And he has got one of the just prettiest catch and shoot jumpers in the league. It is, it's just pretty. Watch, watch a Christian Wood game. Carson turned me on to him. He's, he's the man. 14 to 22, 31 points and 13 boards in their loss to the Blazers. Again, like you said, without Cousins, Wall and Gordon for both of these first two games, Harden, uh, 44 points and 17 assists in that game. I mean, Harden is not the most efficient offensive player. We have seen what he's been able to do with uh, lackluster rosters are just shooting on the perimeter, though. So I don't have, I'm not lacking of any confidence for this team. When you're missing players like Wall, like Cousins, big pieces to your team and what you're trying to do this season um, and what we saw to them in the preseason, I am not short on confidence on the Rockets. I think this team is easily going to make a playoff push. They easily get better from here. Once Wall and Cousins get back and Gordon, this is just going to be a fun team to watch.
2: Yeah, it's going to get a lot better. This team is scary, and I am pretty confident that they are going to be better than I gave them credit for, and I think that I predicted them as the 8th seed, and that is probably going to be selling them short, because they are scoring effortlessly, and there's always the case to be made that taking the ball out of Harden's hands can actually hurt your offensive production, even if you're adding talent, because he is so incredible at driving that offense, where we've seen... If you look a few years ago, the year after Dwight left in 2016-17, where no one else really ever had the ball in their hands, and that was kind of a great thing for the Rockets, and maybe putting it in Wall's hands or Eric Gordon's hands more actually hurts this team, but I don't necessarily agree with that line of thinking because I think what we've seen from Wall, he can be a weapon with the ball in his hands, creating out of the pick and roll, and possibly as a cutter, as a spot-up shooter, if he's able to dial into that role and really commit to that and Boogie has looked so great, Eric Gordon obviously really can only go up from what he was last season, which was the worst he's played in a long time, so all those additions are going to be so important and impressive for this team, I think, because the defense is going to be atrocious, and that is obviously what puts the ceiling on this team, they haven't been able to get stops up to this point, and that doesn't necessarily get better from here, I don't think that really any of the players who we touched on, unless John Wall is fully committed there, because he has been a serious plus defender in his past, I don't think that really changes things, but Outside of James Harden and Christian Wood, the third, fourth, and fifth leading scorers for this team thus far have been David Nwaba, Sterling Brown, and Jayson Tate. Jay Sean Tate, who I actually like and I think has been a bit of a diamond in the rough for this team, but come on, man. I mean, when you are throwing in the kind of names that we're talking about to that mix, it's only going to get better from here, and I do think you talk about the importance of Wood. I have been a huge Christian Wood fan. He is I, that's underselling it. I have been the biggest Christian Wood fan on the entire planet, bigger than any Detroit Pistons fan that I've ever interacted with for a long time. But he has gotten even better from last year. The touch that we are seeing from him off the bounce from floater range has been so impressive where he just keeps getting these rolls and you think that's not going to go in, but it does. What we've seen him do occasionally, pushing tra- in transition, going coast to coast on occasion. And then it's out of the pick and roll. Harden right now, obviously a... Very, very small sample size, but he is running almost twice as much pick and roll per game as he was last year with Christian Wood now in the mix. And this is what I said, Logan, if you remember, I talked about how Harden and the Rockets have veered so far away from pick and roll and towards isolation, but I think that a huge reason for that was Clint Capella was not the threat from the perimeter. He was not the overall pick and roll threat that Christian Wood is to where the fact that teams could send another defender at James Harden. Was actually a bad thing because Capella was not a significant enough threat. Christian Wood is easily a big enough threat to make up for the fact that teams can counter harden in that way. And I think that we're going to continue to see pick and roll between those two, and it is going to be fantastic throughout this season. So the defense is a problem. It is a big problem, and that's the problem with this team. But they are going to be so, so good offensively. Okay, let's talk about a guy who has been obviously an incredibly intriguing prospect, one of the most interesting stories in basketball ever since he emerged on the scene several years ago. Lamelo Ball, not off to the hottest start of the season, in an interesting spot in Charlotte. Where do you think he goes from here this season?
3: I mean, I think it has to get better. Uh, Really underwhelming uh, stats, minutes from uh, Lamelo's first three games. Six points, four boards, three assists, and... Uh, he played his most minutes in this recent game against the Nets with 20. He only got 16 and 15 against Cleveland. Now, Cleveland, I don't know what happened for LaMelo. He didn't get on the scoreboard. He had three turnovers. He looked, he looked like a rookie. But uh, this last game against Brooklyn, he was spreading the ball out a little more. He was getting a shot going from deep. Now, I still have my concerns, Carson, about his shot. It is just so it's just janky. I don't know any other way to say it. His mechanics just aren't pretty. I don't know how much of a, how reliable it will be, but I got to think with how little minutes he's been getting. Um, I don't think, I know the guard rotation is deep. Graham and Rozier, I can confidently say give this team the best chance to win right now. So LaMelo may be better suited as a sixth man, but he's going to get minutes. You don't invest and you don't invest in a guy this high in the draft and you don't play him over 20 minutes a game. Lamelo's is going to get his touches. He's still got that great vision that he showcased against Brooklyn. Um, I do question his fit a little alongside two ball dominant guards just because he's not that great a shooter, but, uh, really underwhelming start. I just think it has to get better because I know how talented of a player and, uh, and how capable Lamelo is. Uh, just because he hadn't gotten the opportunity early and uh, he's been pretty bad to start
2: out. LaMelo will get better. I agree it's going to get better. The efficiency obviously has been poor up to this point shooting 27% on twos but I think the Thunder game showed the formula for him to be effective even with limited opportunities. If he knocks down a couple threes maybe off the ball. If he knocks down a couple floaters out of the pick and roll and just gets a few opportunities there to handle and facilitate then you're good to go and that's a solid LaMelo game and He's obviously done some incredible things, particularly as a passer, more so in the preseason, but we have still seen him just have some incredible full-court flings and do things that very few people on a basketball court can do in this world. It's just about putting it all together, consistently knocking down those shots, imposing himself as a scorer out of the pick and roll, and getting the opportunities. And I'm not overly confident that there's going to be an abundance of of opportunities, because as you laid out, their best options to win come from Rozier and Graham, and I think that's kind of the reality for Lomelo throughout this season. He's not a great rookie of the year pick by any stretch of the imagination right now. He's not going to produce statistically at the level of some of the other guys in his class, and maybe that's not the worst thing. He has this opportunity to develop and grow, and I think that really we just want to see him run the second unit effectively, and that would be a good thing. The problem is there are ball handlers and facilitators in this starting lineup who have maybe a better skill set to run the second unit. If you're looking at a Gordon Hayward or a Rozier, guys who aren't the primary ball handler and facilitator for that starting five because of Devontae Graham, maybe they get more of those touches, and then maybe you're looking at a less than ideal fit for LaMelo. But right now, even if it's only 18 minutes a game, as long as he gets those opportunities to facilitate, to expand on his skill set, I think he'll be okay, and I think he's too tremendously talented for it to stay at this level of production, but... He's not going to be a tremendously impactful player on winning right now. We know that. We know that he's still far away from what he can be. And it's just about him getting there. And if Charlotte is the place to make that happen. Speaking of being far away, maybe not even from what they can be, but from what they would like to be, the New York Knicks, Logan, off to a fascinating start to the season after they dropped their first two games, but then blew out the Milwaukee Bucks and then secured a pretty impressive win over a Cleveland Cavaliers team that has looked good thus far. So they're sitting at 2-2. Two and two, Where does it go from here for New York?
3: I mean, I think it gets slightly worse, but uh, to your point, Carson, I've just been surprised at how good the Knicks have looked. R.J. Barrett uh, looked like a different beast in that Pacers game, 26 points, uh, eight boards, five assists. He uh, took over the offense, and again, I still question some of the fits around here. Julius Randle has played really good basketball to start off. He's uh, stretched the floor a little bit, but I think it gets slightly worse for two key statistics, and... Those stats are this Knicks team through four games is the number one three-point shooting team in the league at 45, uh, excuse me, 45.9%, and they have the number one three-point defense in the league. Opposing teams are shooting 24.4% against them. So with those two stats, you would assume any team would be 4-0 right now. Because the Knicks are 2-2, two and two, that speaks volumes that they're not that good. These are I'm not saying they're fluky, but to beat down the Bucs like they did, they all shot hot from deep. Uh, Frank Nitalikina did not miss a three. Alfred Payton did not miss a three. Uh, Randall went three of five. This is not sustainable. That is that is the takeaway from this. The Knicks cannot keep this up. They are uh, far uh, too not talented. They They're just hot right now. I can't explain why. Maybe it's the Alec Burks effect. I don't know. The Knicks aren't going to keep this up, though. I can tell you that for sure.
2: It's going to get a lot worse, and I think you use the key word sustainable. Tell me what of this sounds sustainable. So you already mentioned one of the key stats. The best three-point shooting team in basketball. Julius Randle averaging 25, 10.5, and 7.5 on 56% from the field, 69% from three, shooting 55% on jump shots. Alec Burks scoring 21 points per game. Alfred Payton shooting 54.5% from three. The Knicks being a top 10 defense. None of those things are going to hold, and the Julius Randle experience has been fascinating thus far because he's still turning the ball over a bunch and I think he has a bunch of the same flaws that he always has as a player. What's been interesting is him really knocking down these mid-range jumpers that you would think normally that's a terrible shot for him to take and I don't know if he's able to sustain that at all. I don't really think he is. I think we're going to fall back into Julius Randle as a player I would never want on my basketball team because of the just terrible decision making that he's prone to and the fact that he is this ball dominant guy who really doesn't make people around him better. I think all of that comes back to reality and one of the more troubling things I think for the Knicks thus far this season is that their young guys have really still struggled. RJ is shooting 39% from the field, 19% from three. Mitchell Robinson is only scoring eight points per game and hasn't really earned himself more opportunities because frankly his game hasn't developed and I don't think it will. He is just a Good rim runner, a good rim protector, an undisciplined rim protector, but also an electric shot blocker, and that's what he's going to be, and those kind of guys are just the kind of players you pick up off the scrap heap, for the most part, they're not the kind of guys who get paid $20 million a year unless they excel in one category, which I don't necessarily think that he does. Kevin Knox is averaging six points per game, so if I'm a Knicks fan... I'm not optimistic about any of this because I know Alec Burks is the kind of guy who can give me empty stats every once in a while and can get a bucket. And it's not that he's not a talented player. It's just he doesn't drive winning in any way. Alfred Payton, I do not want sucking up this volume of opportunities and suddenly thinking that he's a sharpshooter and becoming more comfortable taking these looks. That's a bad thing for me. I don't want Julius Randle being affirmed that, hey, I'm a star and I deserve all these opportunities. So, There's nothing good to take away from these first few games, in my opinion. The shooting will not hold. The performance from the three guys who I highlighted will not hold. And the most concerning and most notable takeaway is that the young guys have still not developed in New York. And that is going to remain a problem for this team. So I'm interested in seeing how the bet that we had shakes out because we put the over-under at their wins for 15 and you took the over, I took the under. They're probably going to hit the over at this point, but I don't think by a convincing amount, and I'm sticking to my guns because I think that this is still maybe the worst team in basketball. I think it's them and the Pistons in that tier right now. Maybe throw the Bulls in there, but I think the Bulls will get better from here, even though I do not like what I've seen from them. But it's been an ugly start for the Knicks. Is there any other reason for optimism with this team? Is there anything that has been good from the young guys? Is there anything about Julius Randle or Alfred Payton that will stay good?
3: No, I mean, if you're going to be happy about anything, I think it's R.J. Barrett looks like he wants to be the guy with the ball in his hands. He looks like he's finally committing to his role as the ball-dominant player in this offense. That'd be the only thing I'd take away from this, because as you said, all of the things that aren't sustainable, Peyton shooting, the Lakina shooting, Randall shooting, all of this, for an aging, for an older team with one real young star to build around, not a whole lot of positive takeaways for
2: the Knicks. And of course, unfortunately, Obi has gotten hurt, so hopefully he comes back out there soon. But the Knicks are not good. They have not been good to this point, and they will remain not good. Let's talk about a team that has been certainly more impressive up to this point and is actually undefeated right now, sitting at 4 0, the Orlando Magic, off to a hot start. Where do they go from here?
3: I mean, I have to say slightly worse just because the Orlando Magic are not going to complete a 72 0 season, but the Magic look really good, especially defensively. Uh, Last season, they were 10th in defensive rating again. uh, They are 12th this season uh, through the first four games, and they're third in points per game. Now, I made this complaint about the Spurs offense and how I didn't think it was sustainable because you didn't really have guys that you can count on, and I feel similar feelings about the Orlando Magic because I don't think they are dependable scorers on this roster, but there are a lot of guys who can get buckets game to game. I mean, Nikola Vucevic is, you can basically count on him for 20. Um, Aaron Gordon is a a guy that you can occasionally get 20, but like Evan Fournier, Terrence Ross, even Cole Anthony, um, these guys can just go off on random moments. And in these games, like against the Heat, when they needed a uh, closing surge um, against a close game against the Wizards, when they needed that closing surge, scoring 43 in the final quarter. They're, they just have a lot of bucket getters, which is extremely valuable when you are a defensive-minded team. So, uh, I've been astounded at their 4-0 start. I certainly didn't expect it, but this team has a lot of scores. They play great defense. I think that I think this is a borderline playoff team, and I am, after their first four with two wins over the Wizards, I am certainly much higher on this team to make the playoffs than I am on Washington.
2: Yeah, Obviously, it's going to get worse for the Magic from here just because they are off to a fantastic start, but they will be a very solid all-around basketball team, and maybe we sold them a little bit short coming into the season just because they aren't particularly fun and their roster is very similar to last season, but everybody is playing well for them right now, and I think that the one standout guy, because you talk about the reliable offensive formula, this team has a bunch of guys who I can count on night in, night out for the most part, Terrence Ross has just been on fire, putting up 21 a game on 52% from the field, over 43% from deep, and it's been pretty fun to watch. I think that he's doing it with the ball in his hands and off the ball and has been really effective in both situations, and you look at what Markel Fultz is doing, where he has been really impressive coming downhill, it's still terribly difficult for me to watch him shoot a jumper, but I do think that we've seen him live up to some of the expectations for this season and play at a high level, and Fournier is a sure thing, Aaron Gordon is going to be Aaron Gordon, and there's going to be flaws that come with that, but there's also some good stuff, and if he can knock down his shot more reliably, then obviously that's a significant plus, but I think one of the reasons that I have a little bit more faith in this team also is that top five guys who we've talked about, Ross, Vucevic, Fultz, Fournier, Gordon, we knew they were going to be really solid, but there were questions about the bench because I think that compared to some of the other teams out east, that unit on paper maybe didn't quite compare, but I think that they've been pretty good thus far. Dwayne Bacon is a guy who obviously they acquired, and had a fantastic game yesterday. I don't believe he missed a single shot, and he brings you some value on both ends and can be a floor spacer and is just the kind of guy who is willing to play hard out there. Cole Anthony, the shots aren't necessarily falling for him that consistently, but as a playmaker, I think has shown his ability to just make the right read and make solid decisions, and I think his scoring will improve from here. Ken Birch has been solid. MCW, people can say what they want about him, but I kind of like how he plays. I think he brings you value defensively and as a playmaker at times. I think that Chuma Okeke, although he hasn't been great to this point, he's a guy who I have faith in to improve as a two-way impact player. So this is a good team. And they have been a solid team for a few years because of that. And I think that this is probably, with the development of Fultz and with some of the additions to this bench, probably the most talented Magic roster that we've had in this iteration of this team as far as having this core. And I think that that's just great for the Eastern Conference, man. The play-in and the playoffs are going to be so much fun because we're going to have actually talented teams scrapping for contention there, and the seller of the East is still hideous, but some of those teams in the 9 to 11 range maybe might be better than we expected coming into the season or than we've ever had previously, and the Magic are certainly a part of that tier. Is there a world to you in which they get better from here, and what would have to happen for that to become a reality, or are they just really playing the best version of Magic basketball that we could see?
3: Well, uh, me, being a skeptic, I'm going to say that they're just playing really hot right now, but um, if you see, if Markel Fultz keeps up this level of production, this uh, pl- attacking the rim, uh, and uh, keeps up wanting to shoot, uh, wanting to improve on these, he just he's gotten more confident uh, in Orlando, I feel like, and if Cole Anthony can come along, because I feel like Orlando, like you said, Carson, has more dependable pieces. Fournier, Gordon, and Vucevic are just a solid three because they bring it every night. They're old veterans. You know what they bring you. And then these other variables off the bench that you mentioned, I think the bench guys have to get better. I think you have to see a jump out of Fultz and Anthony. Um, Terrence Ross has to keep up his scoring production. But defensively, I know I can trust Orlando. If they continue scoring the basketball like this, Orlando's genuinely a scary team game to game.
2: Because we know what they're going to give defensively and we know what their core is going to produce as far as the guys you highlighted. I think you're absolutely right. I think it is Fultz and the ceiling of this team will go with him. We haven't seen him score like this in a long time and it's been really fun. I do question how reliable it is when he still can't reliably knock down a pull-up jumper, although for mid-range he can. It's just he's a complete non-threat from three unless he's wide open off the catch and I don't know if that's what I want the guy who has the ball in his hands more than anybody else to be like right now, but he's certainly improved and he's playing really well right now and so is this magic team last one here before we wrap this up the memphis grizzlies this is a team that you had making the playoffs and not off to the greatest start to the season and unfortunately also john rant will be out i believe three to five weeks with an injury where do the grizzlies go from here do they get better do they get worse do they stay the same
3: no it's getting a lot worse carson i mean it is It's panic mode for the Grizzlies right now. Um, Only one win in their first three games, uh, this recent one against the Nets. But uh, even more so, just the Grizzlies have been horrendously uh, hindered by injuries. Triple J is out. Uh, Justice Winslow is going to be out uh, for a while still. Now with John Moran out, I mean, you're depending on Dylan Brooks, Jonas Valanciunas, and Kyle Anderson to go out there and win you some games. I... It's going to be scary, uh, I think, for the Grizzlies, and this stretch could really hurt them in the long run. Not only just because you're starting at one and two, without I would say Valanciunas, I would take over Triple J and uh, Winslow at this point. But three of your top four players are down with injury. If they end up one and twelve, like one and ten, like I can genuinely see this team not winning a game until they get Morant or some of these guys back. I think, I think it gets a lot worse from here, and. I think maybe, Carson, this team should just think about, depending on how Morant is with an injury and when he comes back, maybe this team should just think about washing this year and going to get that other star. Because, honestly, I don't see, with a healthy John Morant, with a roster this good, Carson, I don't see any other realm that this team gets a pick that high um, with Morant on the roster in years to come.
2: No, you're right, and this is what we've talked about with... Some players immediately driving their team to be competitive. If it's Luca, if it's Jaw, some of these dudes are so special that you're not going to get that top pick once you get them into your team and into your system. So I think long-term things basically stay the same for the Grizzlies, but in the short term, you're right. It's going to get a lot worse and it's going to be pretty difficult for this team to overcome, but there have been some things that I really liked from them over the first few. They're playing with pace at the sixth fastest pace in the league, and that obviously is great for their personnel. Jaw was going crazy and had flashed some improvement as a scorer, I thought, and we'll see what he is reliably as a shot maker off the dribble, we'll see how reliably he can get to the line, but obviously, athletically, is so dynamic and is just almost unstoppable around the rim, although sometimes a little bit erratic still, but for the most part, just a machine, so it's really just about guys getting stops for this Memphis team that really improved defensively throughout last season, knocking down shots, which I think we can trust a lot of their guys to do, and then being healthy, and... The health is the biggest question mark right now. It's going to be difficult for them to survive without Jaw. It really depends on when they get back Triple J and Justice Winslow, and if that happens in the window where Jaw is still out. And I certainly think it will for Triple J because it sounds like he really isn't supposed to be out for that long. So we'll see what goes on there. But. If they can get back him, they're still going to be longing for guys who can really create off the dribble and facilitate and act as that point guard because I don't feel great about Tyus Jones in that role. Justice Winslow would be nice to have as sort of a point forward. We don't know if he'll be back, but... Kyle Anderson has been playing out of his mind up to this point, and I don't expect that to be sustained. He's averaging eighteen and ten on fifty percent shooting from the field, 41% from deep. That's just absurd. I don't think that he's actually improved in any way. So that you can see as sort of an outlier for maybe why the Grizzlies have overperformed a bit to this point. But you're right. It's gonna be really ugly in the short term because Dylan Brooks is a guy who I really like and he's giving you twenty four and four right now and is a great player off the ball and a good decision maker, a solid secondary playmaker, a great competitor, but limited as far as his creation for himself, certainly can't be a primary ball handler for you. So it's unfortunate if this Grizzly season is decimated by injuries, because obviously they deserved a spot in the playoffs last year throughout most of the season. They held that eight seed pretty solid, and then they just kind of let that all slip away at the very end with the Blazers coming on as hot as they were. And it would be a bit disappointing to see this team regress in year two. At the same time, I don't think that they ever had that high of a ceiling for this season and maybe they do go out and picked higher in a loaded draft and that's not the worst thing for them long term so h- how concerned are you about you having them as a penciled in as a playoff team right now have you sort of swayed away from that yeah I'll
3: uh I'd probably bump the Rockets in there um right now just with how I had them slated and I think with Matt Morant out do, would you rather rely on because I think the Grizzlies are kind of built with their deep guard rotation. I like how they handled their offseason. You have Grayson Allen here, uh, Tyus Jones, as you mentioned, Desmond Bain even as a secondary ball handler. I My pick to take over the offense would be De'Anthony Melton because they paid him in the offseason. Now's the time to see what he can do. Who, do you, who would you count on? Because I know you don't like Tyus Jones. Who do you think the Grizzlies should rely on in this stretch with Ja out?
2: I think that there's a case to be made for Melton as the best option out of this group, but I still think that he has a ways to go as far as really being a primary ball handler, creating for others and creating for himself at a high level. So I'm not overly confident in anyone to to fill up and take that jaw role because he is so important to everything they do offensively. And that's where the skepticism for this team comes in, in my eyes, because I don't really think that they're going to be able to excel or survive as far as perimeter creation goes without him. And... That's going to be tough to watch for this team. And it's unfortunate because they're normally a pretty fun squad with Jai out there. And that's not going to be the case as he remains injured. So that's going to do it. We have looked through a bunch of players teams off to hot starts, and it'll be interesting to see how this all progresses. If anyone catches us by surprise, we didn't talk about some teams that have been off to a hot start like the Cleveland Cavaliers, a cold start like the Denver Nuggets, because we already touched on them in our initial season takeaways episode, so don't want to be too repetitive there, but you can go back and listen to what we had to say about them. I am concerned about the Nuggets. Logan, you talked about their defense last week, and it was pretty hideous last night against the Sacramento Kings and squandered a win for them, but we talk about the Nuggets enough and we will get to them, I'm sure. So that'll do it for us here today. Happy New Year. Enjoy the remainder of the holidays and enjoy basketball. Enjoy football because we have plenty of it right now. So I've been Carson Brabber. I have been Logan Camden. And this was Nerds.